Hello! Welcome to the Mind Buffs Podcast. I am your host, Matt Demwasak, and I am here for episode two with Mr. Nick Johnson. Welcome back, sir. Uh, bonjour, Mr. Matt. <laughs> so last time we hung out, uh, we talked about something that was very dear to our hearts um, because we both happened to use this theory in our thesis <laughs> during grad school. And so we were talking about a theory called identity foreclosure, which essentially, uh, just to kind of recap, is a theory that describes how when we are kind of devoting ourselves to one aspect of ourself, way more than every other part of our identity, we become foreclosed in that identity, which can lead to a lot of psychological difficulties, a lot of feelings of if this doesn't work, then what now? And, and the anxiety that that creates. Um, and again, if you haven't listened to that that first episode, um, we really are able to kind of describe that in detail. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to ex- extrapolate on that theory. We're going to listen to more stories um, from, from Nick's career. Um, because again, in our first episode, we really did talk about the cultural changes that you experienced from playing hockey as a little kid to playing bantam to junior to college to pro and it was just really interesting hearing just the differences that you noticed and the adjustments that you had to make whether small or big to kind of find your place in those spaces so um yeah it was really interesting kind of hearing um hearing about that Uh, so yeah really looking forward to diving into today's episode So you did a little uh, research, a little preparation for our conversation today. Um, I'm curious what you kind of came across that you wanted to kind of share today. Um, Yeah, just looking back at some of the the notes I made and some of the articles I found uh, while doing my kind of capstone paper there. Pretty interesting stuff. You know, a lot of it's a lot of collegiate athletes, um, a lot of it's elite athletes, but even the teenage years, maybe, you know, there's still a lot of work to be done, I think, and understanding that dynamic but um i i remember there's one i think it was mcgraw i think he he kind of did an expose on ex-nfl players Mm. and some of the struggles they faced and how their college experience maybe they didn't get the best education opportunities like they they really had to focus on football more um and so they weren't really prepared and as they kind of entered the workforce a lot of people would treat them like oh he's our nfl player so like he's kind of just like a, a golden goose in a way but it's not really like bringing him into the the fold to like learn, you know, skills to kind of progress. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of just various interesting stories like that, how the wives were obviously a big support for the players. Um, but I, the, the coolest thing about, I think that's like, there was one mention of a, a player or two who kind of um, expressed like surprise that they made it, um, that they oh. were able to kind of play. And so in a way they were like the le- the least foreclosed because they weren't, kind of having all their eggs in that basket in a way they their lives wouldn't have turned out terribly if they if they didn't make it um but it kind of gave them kind of fuel in a way it's like i have something really special it's like i'm going to give it 110 110% while i'm here mm. right but then if it doesn't work out you know they're like you know i'm not going to play forever so it's like this great thing that they can really kind of go for at yeah. any point in kind of your advancement in your career, did you ever experience a moment of like surprise of like, oh, wow, I'm here. Oh, wow, I'm playing like at this level. Well, for sure. I mean, I don't know what it is, but and I, I was certainly foreclosed, I guess, in the bad way. And I can explain more about that in a second. But yeah, I think like it was interesting. On one hand, I'm like kind of foreclosed and very attached to it. I'm thinking like if this doesn't work my life's going to be miserable. And like, you know, if I go home from college, not really like progressing or signing, like, it's like, 
it's kind of like, yeah, I don't know what's next. It's like, I think one of the papers I saw just kind of re- reviewing last night, it's like, I think it's a gymnast or something like that. Once people are retired, it's called like nowhere land. You know, it's like you're still in the game. And <laughs> oh, then man. you you look at a head that people are retiring and say, yeah. oh, they're in like nowhere land, right? Like, they, what do you do, right? It's funny. So it's like, that's kind of my, my mindset maybe in the college years. Um, kind of, you know, pretty sad, sad to say that. But yeah, so like, you know, I, I'm kind of foreclosed in that sense. And I'm, you know, putting all my eggs in that basket. But the same sense, like when I did get to the higher levels, it was like a surprise to me. Even like playing junior, I'm like, wow, this is kind of interesting that mm. I got here. Um, and then my my father went to, to Dartmouth College out in New Hampshire, kind of by Boston. That's where my parents met. My mom was, um, I think I mentioned last time, like we had like six generations that, that went to that school. So cool. All on my mom's side. And so, you know, my parents met there. We grew up in Alberta. And the fact that I was like able to kind of go there was like kind of interesting. It was kind of mm. a surprise in a way. Like I didn't know if I'd, it's almost like you kind of grow up not idolizing the place, but kind of like. I don't know. It just seemed like such a big step in a way. I was like, I didn't know if I'd be able to get there. Right. Totally. Um, and then, yeah, an extension signing a pro contract and, and obviously putting that way too high on a pedestal kind of as I arrived still, you know, having to learn that game, but yeah, definitely, definitely surprised. Even when I did get in the NHL and like things are going well, it was, it was still kind of like, I know this isn't going to last that long. Mm. So it's like, let's kind of go for it. Mm. Um, and at least by the NHL years, I was like, really kind of ready for that challenge. I had kind of put some of those issues more, uh, or I'd process some of those issues a bit better. So, yeah. I mean, you've fighting clawed your whole way to get to the actual top. So I guess once you're there, it's like, okay, well now that I'm here. <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah, it was certainly a struggle just kind of getting over some of the the hurdles in the minors and, and the different styles between the minors and the, and the NHL and the scouts maybe want different players and kind of dealing with that frustration, that anger, you know, kind of channeling that another way. That was kind of a big lesson. Really just becoming a better team player is kind of how I did it. And, right. Uh, yeah, it was, it was really useful. Actually. Yeah. I mean, like, like so many conversations we can have about like, you know, what needed to change in like your style of play, like what different skills did you feel like you had to learn or sharpen to feel like you could be a consistent player in the lineup. But, um, you know, knowing that we're a sports psychologist, the thing that I happen to be most curious about is what were the relationships like at the professional level and did they feel any different than you know college junior and, and even when you were younger yeah i think in a way it's, it's strange i feel like a lot of the like coolest guys quote unquote <laughs> from from junior from midget from those ages a lot of them not too many of those guys kind of kept going uh, you know for for whatever reason but it's interesting that like some of the, you know, quote unquote, cool guys in the NHL, I don't think would have been the cool guys in junior or, or Interesting. earlier. Interesting. So it's almost like they get to that top and they, and then all of a sudden they kind of, oh, I got that M3, I got that M5 and I'm so special. And <laughs> yeah, you kind of, you can kind of see that there's there kind of like a pecking order in a way and certain guys were more popular than others and certain guys would play that up. Right. And, and kind of feel okay to treat other people like trash or just like. You know, there's one thing with like rookies and, and kind of giving them a hard time. And I think sometimes they deserve it, but, uh, you know, to an extent, I just got to be <laughs> careful what I say. It's actually a really funny story. So my, uh, one of the guys I went to school with, he kind of left early. He was in Colorado system and, uh, you know, just kind of an aloof like rookie. Right. So anyway, some of the older guys in Colorado were kind of like, this kid needs to learn kind of thing. So he buys these like $300 look, I don't, I don't know what their Lacoste or they're like really nice sneakers, like nice white sneakers. Maybe they were like, probably not Louie, but some sort of like designer thing. Yeah. So he wears them to the rank. 
And so back then everyone had like, you know, running shoes for the rink and everyone had their number on, on the running shoe. Right. So, you'd know, cause I, like Reebok would send the whole right. team the same shoes. So everyone put their number on it. So I think Adam Foote like took a Sharpie and took this kid's brand new, like $350 running, like, you know, nice, not Louie, <laughs> but some sort of nice sneaker and just wrote the kid's number on it. Like, you know, don't forget you're a rookie. Like, here you go. <laughs> that's, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah. It was, uh, so stuff like that, like, it, that stuff's kind of funny, yeah. I think. And I mean, he could probably afford it, but yeah, I, you talk about how, you know, the NHL players that happened to, to become the cool kids <laughs> uh, at the playground were most likely not even that way or that personality or in that status when they were younger. Um, I even remember when I was young, I was never the best player on my team. I was always like below that. Like I was the sneaky offensive guy that I, I'd put up the numbers over a point in game, but no one ever thought of me as like the offensive threat or like no one looked to me for leadership or like, Hey, no, Matt's going out there. Cause he's going to go get one for us. Like that was never my, my role on the team. And I remember I was doing this, um, like spring hockey camp kind of conditioning camp to get ready for the season. And my mom had signed me up for it. I didn't really know what it was. And immediately just even being in the locker room for like five minutes, I could tell, Oh, like there aren't a lot of like really great players here. And like instantly it's like my brain was like, boop, 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 bing. like immediately I put myself like at the top of the hierarchy in, in this camp. And I remember that feeling cause I'd never felt like that before. Right. I was always kind of in the shadows a bit in the background, which is funny. Cause if you know me now, that's not, <laughs> that's not me at all. Um, yeah. But that whole camp I was, I was acting like the cool kid. So it's funny hearing you say that because I literally experienced that. And it was not like something that I was aware of in the moment. Only now I can reflect back and go, wow, I remember that feeling in that moment of looking around the room being like, I have the voice in the room. When I talk, people are actually like paying attention to me. It was, it was pretty powerful. <laughs> yeah, no, that, I think that's, that's, that's spot on. I think, you know, and then it's up to us in those moments to kind of decide what to do with it, right? So yeah, I, I always kind of scoffed at some of the guys that, you know, were, were on a, a higher pecking order and really kind of just kind of made people do stuff for them really, or like, you know, carry their emotional baggage in a way like, oh, like, yeah, anyways, but, um, yeah, a lot of, a lot of issues like that through the years, um, junior, not so much college, uh, we were pretty close as a team. There nice. wasn't too many like egos in a way. Um, maybe we should have been more focused on hockey. You know, you know, we were, it was like, anyways, but yeah, <laughs> I feel like you're just passing by through stories. Pro right? had a lot of, of interesting kind of dynamics like that. Cause everyone, pretty much everyone grew up being a pretty good player. Like, I think I, I was kind of like you, I wasn't always, maybe my kind of lower, um, tier, um, community association growing up. I was, yeah, probably one of the best players. But even by playing for Northwest and Calgary, like I was still kind of middle of the pack for the forward kind of team. So it sounds like you're kind of like reflecting on how it maybe it wasn't until you were older that you started to notice that your presence or like your voice kind of had more authority like in the space where um, when you were younger, you were never that guy. But perhaps like I guess at what age do you feel like you started to notice that you had the ability to kind of command the room a bit more. Um, even like my second year junior, I mean, I was pretty good in the league. Uh, we were kind of young. We were kind of rebuilding after the first year run all the way to the finals with a bunch of older players that we, yeah, we lost in game seven. 
so we were kind of rebuilding. But even then, like I felt like I could say things because I was one of the best players. But even then, I kind of maybe didn't have that social confidence in a way. Or and I think I probably didn't say things the best way. But yeah, I think more. Yeah, certainly college. I had I kind of had ideas on how to be a good leader, and I I think I did the best I can. My last year, we had we had kind of lost one of my classmates who turned pro, and then the class ahead of me had a bunch of guys turn pro. Our team was just like significantly weaker from one year to the next. Yeah. And so I, I kind of, I knew I kind of had to lead. I think I did okay, at least some parts of the year, you know, in, in a situation that just, we, we probably weren't going to be super competitive, but it took me a while in pro, probably not till after I got set back down from the NHL that I really, that I really knew I was kind of a leader, which is kind of a hard year because for me personally, it wasn't going well um, in terms of getting sent down and stuff but i knew i couldn't just like you know sit in that space i had to you know a duty to lead kind of thing so we i think we had like 10 rookies or something like that this oh, is wow. kind of why I have, I have this like aversion to rookies and stuff like that so like <laughs> when i'm when i'm a rookie in wilkesbury and yeah there's like four or five of us like the older guys you know they weren't that bad i've heard of worse kind of you know situations for rookies but like we were, we had certain expectations. Like we had to get the movies for the bus. We had to do. We had to clean the bus after. Like there was, you know, there was things we like we were expected to do. And if a guy was working out, like the older guys would go first and get the reps done, and then, right, a lot of the classic stuff that yeah. you would expect. And uh, but like our rookies in Providence, and I, I told one of the like one of the kids actually went to Dartmouth, and so we were like kind of closer. I was like, you guys are so useless. Like you guys don't know. You don't know how <laughs> good you have it. Like we treat you guys with so much respect. Like, I don't know how many bus trips, like, no one brought the movies. Oh, I thought Griff was going to get them. No, Subes, you're going to get it. I was like, are you guys kidding me? Like, <laughs> like this would not fly anywhere else. And I think one time uh, Malcolm Subban was, like, the goalie, right? So he was, like, he was going to, you know, lift weights or something. But the other guy was, like, standing there and going to do it first, like a, a vet. And Subes was like, no, I got to do it because I got to go do this or something. And the guy was just like, are you out of your mind right now? Like, you know, it's just like, <laughs> you guys are so comfortable. So I was just telling my, uh, yeah, my Dartmouth kind of friend that was actually a rookie for Providence at the yeah. same time. I was like, at the end of the year, I think it was like the season was over. I was like, I just kind of laid into him. He kind of like, he kind of chuckled, but he also like kind of felt I wanted him to feel a bit ashamed <laughs> for a second. I was like. That's I was like, it was so embarrassing. You guys were such a joke this year. And he was like, oh, yeah, I guess we were pretty bad. Like, now you're not a rookie. We can't do it to you anymore. It's not fair. I wonder, like, if it was just that team, for whatever reason, just the perfect combination of personalities that that ended up happening, um, especially because there were so many rookies, not that one or two that it's obviously you have to take that role, or if that was, like, a sign of some of the, like, cultural changes that were just happening in sport in general, where... Like there's kind of less of a of a black and white hierarchy yeah. like that because I know that it's not anywhere near where it used to be. Like, oh my god, my dad um, he played uh, pro hockey. He played for New Westminster Bruins and and the Western Hockey League and, and played in the IHL uh, for Kalamazoo. And I mean, back there in the seventies, the stories of what they would do with their yeah. rookies, um, duck taping guys to like the ceiling like for like an entire party and just leaving them up there like shit you would never (laughs) never see anymore but um i feel like as the years go by that a lot of those like rookie um like vet relationships and like what those expectations look like i wonder if they're actually quite a bit different now than even when you played i would imagine and yeah i I think i noticed that cultural shift even from four years of me being in the league Mm. 
And I think it was also because we had so many rookies that they kind of had to play. So it's not like, yeah, kind of the, it's pretty it unique. Was, it was uh, Bruce Cassidy. So he's the Vegas coach, right? Uh, he was, I think he's a really good hockey mind, kind of a nice guy, but also just kind of a snapshot behind the bench. Uh, <laughs> I bet he's, he's probably different now. But like, I liked him in general, but yeah, he'd, he'd kind of get carried away. But uh, I think he kind of had to play them. But um, we had a lot that, they would kind of turn over the puck and they would just kind of try to dangle. And, and like when I was a rookie, it was like, no, like you can't do that, man. Like you, you cannot turn the puck over. Like simple as that. It was like full stop. Like, yeah. no, <laughs> yeah. you want to play? You want to play on the fourth line? Like, you know, yeah. don't complain. You're on the fourth line. Like yeah. figure out how to do it. Yeah. And, I'm, and I'm really glad I came in that era hmm. because I actually had to learn how to alter my game a little yeah. bit. And it was more like, it was more, I had to totally change my mindset from like, I'm always trying to like create stuff to, mm-hmm. I need to be responsible. I need to do these, you know, mm-hmm. four line things, maybe scrap mm-hmm. here and there, um, you know, be more physical, get to that and stuff like that. But it was more like, that was my kind of main framework. And then from there, there'd be slight, sometimes opportunities to make a skilled play. That's kind of how I think I really could actually go up to the NHL and think on that level, but had those like good habits that, that allowed me to like, you know, coach. Totally. Oh, oh, I kind of trust this guy. Right. So. Yeah. I've really been fascinated by the, the concept of like the third line player, the fourth line player. Cause I think we really saw maybe, maybe it was St. Louis, one of the first teams to really change the mindset of like, you have your top six and you got your bottom six and they were really trying to roll like four offensive lines. And clearly we see now like most teams try to run like four lines where their skill like on all four. Uh, but it's even funny just seeing um, you like play hockey now, like in the men's league that we play, um, you can tell that there's this almost like a persona of like the power forward of like, you know, this is how like I had to play for so many years, like later in my career. But then there's these fucking moments where you're just like, nah, like I'm, I'm Nick, the the skill player. And then all of a sudden you're just pulling something out of your ass. Or we're like, Oh my God. Yep. He played pro. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gotta remember that. <laughs> yeah. No, thank you. I think it's like, I think it's more fun to dangle for sure. For sure. It was also really fun to, to kind of compete at that physical hmm. kind of like, you know, all in sort of mentality and, and, uh, you know, getting dirty and so yeah, it's, I, I definitely miss that. And I, I don't think I could, if I played men's league now, like senior league, I'm sure I could find that in how out of yeah. shape I am and stuff. And <laughs> it would be kind of fun, but I don't think it'd be worth that kind of risk. Right. So, yeah. um, no, I, I love like getting out there just on our skates and, and like, still trying to go hard, go back check mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But then, mm-hmm. yeah, like, it's just like, oh, maybe I'll try this play. And if it doesn't work, it's not the end of the world. So. Yeah. Like, I, I think it's different from person to person. But like when, like, my competitive career had ended, my competitiveness did not. That to this day has not gone away. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like I have to choose when to unleash it because, like, I don't have a middle switch. If I'm going to be competitive, it's like... It's like, <laughs> if you unleash it, it's all the way. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, which I, I love that, but I have to like choose what environments I can be there, what kind of people I'm around where like, that's okay. Because like, I know it comes across as like super intense or intimidating to, you know, personalities that maybe haven't really fully pursued something to the highest level, regardless of what that is and really mm-hmm. understand like what that is and where it's coming from. Um, yeah, I have a, I have a good point that it's like, hmm. I think since I retired, I've kind of, you know, and we're talking about foreclosure and it's like yeah. very much uh, especially transitioning out of sport is like a big obviously concern for that right like 
if you get all your worth from from hockey or some sport and then all of a sudden you get injured and have to retire or whatever you could see how that would be pretty hard for for kids and young adults to deal with right so so I, I think I did a pretty good job in terms of like what career I want to follow but still I think that competitiveness it was really hard for me to kind of come around to understand like what that might look like mm-hmm. and I still think I'm trying to kind of find that in a way it's like a totally different you know it's so structured before it's like hockey okay it's mm-hmm. like working out and discipline and eating and and whatever and you know obviously on ice play and, and plays and all and skills and plays um but I think like approaching that you know now with a couple of kids and being kind of a helping try to provide for my family it's like that's kind of the domain I'm in and it's like a little bit different it's like I mean, I think everyone has to learn that growing up. So it's not like I'm special in that sense, but it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's it's interesting, you know, transitioning and, and uh, coming out of sport that way. But yeah, this past year, I actually got back into competitive sport for the first time, really, since I was like 19 years old. And because of COVID, I was really able to kind of unleash myself on golf. I've always been a good golfer, but I mean, you're, you're typical, like kind of 10, 11 handicapper. Typical, where, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so arrogant i realize that now um you know i I get that odd round in the 70s and be like oh yeah i'm so good but like during covid it was like you know i I actually want to take a crack at this and see you know i'm i'm only i would have been what 33 um that first summer of covid where golf was the only sport you could play and i really want to kind of commit myself to it and it was interesting how when i kind of told myself I want to commit myself to this sport it was all of a sudden like my brain went back into like teenager mode because that was the last time I had fully engaged that mindset and there was a lot of great things about it that I really missed about having that routine and having a plan and like this is what I'm going to execute these are the the short-term goals and this is the process I'm going to focus on to get there that was really fun because you know as a sports like we're teaching that but I haven't really done that for myself in an athletic way in such a long time and so you know work on my game work on my game and then this past year I decided okay well I want to start playing tournament golf now and even though I'm a sports psychologist even though I know all this shit it was like my very first tournament I felt like I was 19 again I felt like if I made a mistake that, you know, I was never going to have an opportunity again. Someone was going to yell at me. I was going to somehow not play the next hole because some coach was going to tell me, like, you're sitting for the next hole. It was like, <laughs> I, I bench this hole, yeah. But <laughs> all of these, like, emotions. And I knew going to the tournament that, like, I probably wasn't going to play as well as I know I can because I would have all this old baggage coming and it was just way more than I thought. So, you know, the first two tournaments I played and I did not do well i played a lot better in the third one and was able to um like qualify for the championship for that one but i what i realized is part of why i started to lose the passion even though my body was breaking down in the sport at 18 and 19 was because i was approaching my relationship to sport way too professionally too much intensity that i was being someone else than I truly was. Mm. And the reason why I started to really hate the game was because it became like a job. And unfortunately, it was the only thing I was really doing that I cared about. So I was incredibly foreclosed. Mm. And that was reinforced by every single person in my mm. life. And you know, I've got so many stories to kind of share about this. But what I've learned is that when my focus is on just building connections and relationships with the people in that space... I perform so well. I I play so well. And when I start to 
turn that focus inward toward like, okay, I need to do this more. I need to do that better. I got to work on this. I focus on that. My game like deteriorates. And it's almost like when in the moment during the performance, I foreclose my identity in that single moment where like, this is the only thing that matters and I have to perform. That's where like everything goes to shit. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Like that's an amazing point. I think I'm kind of doing my reading last night, even like, I think there's one, um, one article about, I think ex NCAA basketball players, like African-American mm-hmm. basketball players and that kind of social currency or like being known as, as the baller and everyone's cheering for you. And it's such like a socially, um, demanded thing, right? Like sports and our cult- sports and our culture to, you know, Oh, I know some so-and-so who went this far or whatever. Right. So I could imagine all that pressure you're kind of like yeah i'm putting in all this work and it's what i should be doing everyone's telling me i'm doing so good and it's going to work out and it's like what they want and i'm kind of like you know reaffirming myself in other people's eyes in a way right like it's kind of uh, amazing the effect that can probably have too and uh totally yeah i'd like to jump more on that point though you made about like it's like even in that moment like you know recently when you're kind of pretending i'm not pretending you're like feel like you're a 19 year old again Mm -hmm. And it's like, it kind of takes over of being like, you're almost in a foreclosed state and how yeah. much that really does affect you in terms of maybe like how much you trust your your swing or how, how free you play while you play. Yeah. Maybe you could totally kind of say more about that. That was really interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, that's what happens. That's why a lot of people come to us is like when they're playing at that next level or, you know, it's a couple of weeks away from the Bantam draft or uh, from these like big... The big moments, big milestone moments, like in kind of like your athletic career. Um, all of a sudden, a lot of players feel like they have to change. They have to do something different that they have to add things or take things away, do things more, do things less. It's crazy how we begin to overthink everything when the situation is slightly different, even though like what we need to do does not need to change whatsoever. And like going back to those tournaments, I genuinely felt like I was that teenager again, where I needed to focus on what not to do as opposed to what to do. And all that did was keep me stuck in my, my logical cognitive brain, just thinking and thinking and thinking. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think that's you fully. I think, um, (laughs) not that, that maybe that sounded bad, but I did not intend it that way. Anyways, (laughs) I think that's really interesting though, what you say, because I, I remember a quote, was it Josh Hamilton, Lance Hamilton, the Texas Rangers, he was like a drug addict, um, kind of oh. changed his life and then got back on the Texas Rangers. He was mm-hmm. like a big slugger. For, mm-hmm. I think he played in the Angels too. Um, but I think he, he really struggled with that. Like as he turned pro, he kind of put it on a pedestal and, and, you know, thought he had to change a lot of things about his swing, about his approach, whatever. Mm-hmm. But one of the, I think one of the vets on the first team might've been the Rangers. I can't remember where he was drafted and stuff, but. They're basically like the guys that can remember that this is the same game they played when they were a kid are the guys that do really well. 100%. Right? And he didn't, it took him five years or something to learn the lesson yeah. and like a yeah. serious, serious drug addiction and stuff like that. Yeah. But I find that interesting because, so kind of putting, you know, like I'm, I'm approaching even college, I'm approaching pro, I'm approaching NHL or anyone's approaching kind of the higher levels. You start to see it as this like big thing. And I thought, oh, it's probably like a fine-tuned Swiss watch. Mm. And all the managers are on the ball and all the scouts are on the ball. And all the coaches are perfect and all the other players are so good. And the the skill and the plays, the tactics they use are like, you know, perfect. And then here I am and here are a lot of people 
that probably have these negative self-doubts about ourselves from when we grew up. And so as we approach these big milestones, like, you know, approaching pro or approaching WHL draft or whatever, they start to think like, oh, what I've done till now isn't good enough because somewhere inside of them, they have that, that negative belief. And all of a sudden, like, oh, I'm looking at this thing and it's so important and it's going to give me all this, you know, these accolades and stuff and all this validation. It's got to be so good, but I'm so bad. So therefore, I got to throw everything out that I know and kind of readapt and, and change. And that's that's like to a T what happened to me, too. I love that you shared that. Like, it's not that different. Right. Oh, well, it's not. It's not that like, different. There's a little more sharpness. Yeah, the mm-hmm. tactics are a little different. There's a little more expectations, but mm-hmm. it's like you got to skate. You got to pass the puck you guys try to score the puck like it's right the game is the same <laughs> it, it really yeah it really is and, and when i had that like i could it's funny because i could yeah i had to learn those kind of more conscious like mature lessons about tactics and whatever and like learning for third fourth line stuff but at the same time it's like when i when i got them to perspective of like you know understanding it's the same game i've always played it's almost like i could tap into my nine-year-old energy that like loved the game more than anything you know? And so it's like, I had that youthful, like joy. Like I, yes. I would, I could smile my way through a game. I remember, um, what's that? kind of, I don't know if it's embarrassing. I don't know, but like, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm playing in Minnesota and you know, they ask you before certain games, like, what's your favorite movie? What's your favorite song? Whatever, whatever. And then they, and they do it like trivia as the game's going. And so it was like, what's your favorite movie? Like this Oscar winning movie or this Oscar winning movie. And that's like, and then, but then I gave my answer. It was like Joe Dirt. Like I thought it was like so funny. <laughs> that's your favorite. And like, so that's what I said was like my favorite movie year. I, maybe it wasn't that, but I think it was like one of my favorites. So I thought like this would be funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the whole like 20,000 people like, you know, so, oh, this is going to be his favorite movie. And you know, Nick's like a serious guy. And I'm like, my favorite movie is Joe Dirt. <laughs> and like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know who we were playing. Uh, LA Kings are coming to mind. It's not like, I don't know why. Maybe they're sitting on the bench like, well, who is this? Like, no who way. is this goofball, right? <laughs> But I literally didn't care. I was like a kid, just like love it, having a great time, like trying my best. Right, love so. it. Well, when we do uh, team sessions, um, we'll often have a session where we're kind of like teaching or, or talking about like visualization and imagery. And to kind of start the session, we often have athletes share like, "What is your absolute favorite moment?" that you've ever had as a hockey player. It doesn't even have to be like a play, but just something related to, um, you know, the game of hockey. I find even when we're working with like our, our junior or like our, our college guys, it's very rare that we get a memory that is recent. It's almost always like between the ages of like eight and 12. Right. Yeah. That sweet spot right before the ultra competitive, like right. high performance mentality started to, um, to take hold. Like everyone's favorite memory always seems to be in that window of time where it was still like just be free and like have fun. Mm-hmm. And it's so depressing, like to hear that because it's like, Oh my God, like you've just committed. 90% of your waking life yeah. to being here. And yet there's nothing in recent memory that like hits that same level of like joy as when you were that kid. Right. It's kind of like you're good enough to skate and do a couple more things on the ice and get around. So you have some like, you know, competence at it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's kind of before teenage pressures and before mm-hmm. all these kind of foreclosure problems that we're talking about, right? It's 100%. like that pure, 
pure joy. Like I remember even like to share something like that. Just, you know, I used to love listening to the radio, doing my homework, sitting in my room, right? That's kind of the, the era it was. But like anytime I'd be driving, even now, I'd rather listen to a game on the radio than than watch on TV. But I remember driving back from Camrose, I think I think to Calgary or maybe Edmonton. It was like I was home from college or something. Just listening to like the Oilers or Flames game or something on the radio. It was like kind of like a joy. It was like middle mm-hmm. of winter, minus 20, just driving down the highway. It was like this is kind of what I remember. Like, this is what I like. This is why I still did it. You have these kind of joys you remember, but I remember even my first NHL game, I scored my scored during the game, but I remember felt feeling like kind of like so empty after it's like, mm. wasn't anything. It was almost like the expectations I had for it of, you know, being this pedestal thing and it was going to be totally. this perfect game. And it was the easiest goal I've ever scored. Like Malkin made some crazy play and I literally took it on my backhand, pushed, like pushed it in the open net. Like I could <laughs> not, I could not have missed it. Right. Mm. But just seeing all the, all the athletes, all the players, they weren't any different than any, any of the other minor league players I'd seen. And yeah, some of them had a little better shot, but they're all people, right? Yeah. There's just some more people in the stands and yeah. Okay. Sit up, Sidney Crosby was on one, my one side and Alex Ovechkin was on the other, on the other side of the glass, like, you know, between the players bench, you know, he's yelling at Sid and my coach is telling me, don't let anyone talk to Sid. I'm like, well, I'm not going to tell Ovi to F off, but okay, I'll try. Um, so even though that's like interesting, it's still just like, I was like, huh, like this is just hockey and I don't know why I built it up so much, but now I'm like almost depressed about it. Like, what am I doing? Like, what's my passion? Right. So it's like, that was kind of the journey that I had to realize getting back to like my youthful energy really is what it's almost like before the foreclosure years, like that really kind of helped me put in perspective, but also, you know, grow as a man in other ways. Yeah. Um, but just, yeah, kind of keep hockey in the place that it needed to be. Yeah. That's really, really cool. I think that that's something that we come across, um, like quite often is that the letdown of the expectation that was set. And even just to use, you know, an example that I think a lot of people just in everyday life, um, might have like an emotional connection to is the relationship that we have to vacations it's like we put the vacation on a pedestal that like, it's going to be perfect. Every minute we're there is going to be great. It's going to be rejuvenating. It's going to be exactly what I need. So that when I come back home, it's like, I'm going to be ready to go again. How many people have honestly had that vacation? Especially if you have kids, how many of you have had that vacation with kids and, and not to like, compare your experience (laughs) on an NHL bench to like everyday people going on vacation. But the mechanism that is the same is when we put something too high up on the pedestal, when we set the expectation too high. It's it's as simple as even when we have an agenda of how we want something to go or how we want something to look. It's why most stupid fights happen in a relationship is because you're going into the conversation with a particular agenda of how you want it to go or how you thought it was going to go. And then as soon as it's not that, it's either like defensiveness or this emptiness feeling or like, oh my God, like existential like feelings. So it's control, right? Like it's like, I need to control all these outcomes. I need to control my vacation and have the best vacation ever every second, right? Yeah. That's not how it works. No. Right. And so we were talking about how like it was actually the the joy and the freedom of just like enjoying the moment that we're in, even when you continue to like rise um, through the ranks in, in your hockey career, that that was when you were playing your best is when the smile was there, not because of how you were playing or because you look up at the scoreboard and go, dang, I got two points already. It was just like, I'm, I'm here and, and this is really cool that I'm here. 
Yeah, for sure. That's fascinating. Um, well, we hope you guys enjoyed a part two with Matt and Nick today. Again, if you have any questions or more curiosities about um, performance and identity, we're going to keep diving into this concept. Um, Nick has a million stories that uh, he will be able to... A couple thousand. Okay, let's not be dramatic, Matt. I do get told that. Um and we're going to just kind of look into different industries as well as we go kind of episode by episode, um, whether it's like work, whether it's parenting, whether it is like sport and hobby, um, just showing that as a mechanism, when we commit too much of our identity to like one aspect of our life, it actually creates more harm than it does good. Um, one of the sayings that comes to my mind that I, I think we'll kind of leave on today, and it just drives me crazy, is I want you to play with desperation. Oh my God. One of the worst things that coaches can say, like play as if your life depended on, uh, there's nothing about these mindsets that increase your performance. If you play perfectly, yeah, you'll feel like a God. But as soon as you have one mistake, that mentality is going to be the death of you. And so just understanding like how, when we overcommit ourselves emotionally or, or even um, ideologically to, to certain aspects of our identity, it does not make us a better person. Um, so looking forward to kind of diving into more of that in episode three. So again, thank you, Nick, for your candid stories today and, and being here with us. Yeah, thanks. No, I'm excited. There's lots to uh, dissect and, and go over. Yeah, it's a, it's a very fascinating topic. I think it doesn't get as much kind of airtime as it as it deserves in the mm-hmm. mental performance uh, sports like space. Hundred so. percent, and that's why we're so excited to to kind of share both research and, and lived experience about this topic. So, thank you everyone for listening again, and we are excited for you guys to come back and, and listen to episode three uh, a month from now. So, thanks guys, and take care. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, everyone. Yeah.